This is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, and this is The Full Story. Over the past week, the Coalition has been criticising Labor's energy policy and talking up their own. Energy Minister Angus Taylor has claimed without evidence that Labor's policies will drive up energy bills. They will make Australians pay for their policies through their electricity bills. On Sunday, Barnaby Joyce said the transition from coal to cleaner energy will drive unemployment in the regions. Transition to what? Because that equals unemployment. And the same day, Scott Morrison announced a $300 million energy and jobs package for the Northern Territory, including substantial support for fossil fuels and CCS, an unproven technology to limit emissions. With polls showing that climate and energy are ranked among the highest concerns for voters, what are the major differences between Labor and the Coalition's energy policies? And are either party truly preparing Australia for the global shift away from fossil fuels? Today, the future of Australia's energy after the election. It's Tuesday, the 26th of April. So, Adam, recently we've seen some attacks from the coalition claiming that Labor's energy policy will drive up energy bills if they're elected. But if we kind of want to step away from the noise and actually compare the energy policies of the two major parties so that voters can make a clear decision on election day, where will we start? I mean, I think this focus on over-egged claims about cost of policy, which we've been suffering through for so many years now, has killed off in the short term and maybe longer any chance of having a real discussion about what the best policy framework to deliver this massive change would look like. Adam Morton is Climate and Environment Editor at Guardian Australia. And when I say massive change, we're talking about what is a fundamentally huge undertaking to move from an economy that has run on fossil fuels to one that runs on renewable energy and It's really important to say that that shift, at least in terms of our electricity supply, is happening really rapidly now. We get more than 30% of our power in the national market from renewables. Just three or four years ago, it was less than 20%. So it's a big change, but it's happening without a national policy to drive it. There just isn't one. Virtually every expert says and has been saying for a long time that we would benefit from having one But the toxic debate around climate and the continual attack on policies from a point of view of whether they'll raise energy bills has basically scuppered any proposal put forward. The result is that Labor has basically stopped trying to introduce an overarching climate policy, such as a carbon price, and instead what we get is piecemeal. Right. So essentially, it's a bit hard to compare energy policies because they're fundamentally lacking in detail and direction. But let's give it a go, starting with coal. What is the future of coal under the two major parties? On coal power, we are seeing a shift away from it. It's happening reasonably quickly, more quickly than both political parties and the industry has acknowledged would happen. Mm. Renewable energy is coming on fast. Solar power in the middle of the day is incredibly cheap. Coal plants are really old they're struggling mechanically and they're struggling to be economically viable because they're meant to run 24-7. And in the middle of the day, we have so much solar energy coming into the grid right now that, and it's free, 
that it's really calling into question the economic viability of those coal plants. Neither major party has a policy to shut coal plants early. In fact, they both make the point that coal plants won't shut earlier because of their policies. Mm. And in the coalition's case, they're taking steps to extend the life of coal-fired power plants. Scott Morrison has said he wants coal plants to run as long as possible. And just before the election was called, Angus Taylor asked for a change in electricity market rules that would require the owners of coal plants to give five years' notice before shutting a plant, which is basically trying to hold up the change. Right. So both parties are saying they won't close these coal plants, but the coalition is doing very pointed and specific things to actually stop companies from closing them proactively. That is fair to say. The coalition is very critical of companies that are announcing coal plant closures earlier than was previously scheduled. I think there is a real distinction here between the coalition and Labor. Labor doesn't deny that coal plants are going to be shutting earlier than current scheduled dates. It just says that its policy won't lead to them shutting it any earlier than they would anyway. Right. They're not going to do anything either way. That's right. I mean, it's a political position. No one's going to lose a job at a coal plant because of Labor policy, but there is a real change happening and it's happening quite rapidly. I think it's fair to say is Labor's position. And what about that other element of coal, us digging it up and sending it overseas? What are the plans from the coalition and Labor? Well, here they're, they're much more closely aligned. The position is that we should continue to dig up and ship coal as long as there's an international market for it, as long as countries are willing to buy it. And we should continue to approve new coal mines as long as companies think it's commercially viable to go ahead and build them. So there's no intervention in that market at all. They kind of say, not our problem, nothing to see here. And ultimately, it's a decision not for the Australian parliament or the Australian government. Right. If people want to buy Australian coal, who are we to intervene otherwise, essentially? Essentially, yeah, that's right. Uh, The major parties either ignore or disregard the idea that rather than just be selling our fossil fuels, we could be taking steps to help the developing world embrace renewable energy, cleaner technology more rapidly, rather than locking in dirty infrastructure that could last decades by selling them our product basically reasoning that they'd go down that path anyway. But there is a difference between them that we should acknowledge. Labor says it will cut emissions from our major industrial polluting sites uh, using an existing coalition policy. It's called the safeguard mechanism uh, that the coalition isn't really using at the moment. Labor hasn't explained in detail how it plans to do that. It would work it out in its first year in government when it has access to agencies and in conjunction with the industries themselves. But it does say that polluting export industries, which obviously includes coal mines, would not be disadvantaged against overseas competitors who don't face some sort of imposition on their emissions, on requiring them to cut emissions. So it's likely that any impact on coal mines from this policy would be Uh, very gradual. Uh, But there is an expectation over time that industrial emissions will be cut under Labor. The coalition has no policy that requires that reduction. Okay, so what about gas, Adam? As we know, the coalition is very set on a gas-led recovery from the pandemic. 
What kind of money are we seeing funneling into gas and and where is it going? Well, the Coalition has been and continues to be a very big supporter of expanding Australia's gas industries. It's hard to get an exact figure on it because it's spread across so many different pies. But, you know, give or take at least a billion dollars has been allocated by the Coalition for what they call a gas-fired recovery from the pandemic. Mm. I mean, we've seen a lot of that reinforced a bit quietly at times, but during this election campaign, they've put out announcements that go into further detail of where they're going to spend this money or have confirmed previous announcements adding up to about $800 million on fossil fuels, and the bulk of that is for gas. Mm. Where is this $800 million going, particularly when it comes to gas? The biggest chunk so far has been in an agreement with the Northern Territory Labor government, an energy and emissions reduction deal that those two governments have done that really focuses on developing the Beetaloo Basin, which is a so far untapped but potentially massive gas basin in the NT. Mm. The federal government's committed $226 million, basically try to accelerate fracking there and help open up that basin. And it's also kicked in $300 million as part of this agreement alongside the Northern Territory government for fossil fuel development in Darwin to help open up liquefied natural gas production for export, develop clean hydrogen industry. Now, clean hydrogen is hydrogen created with gas. Mm. And there's further money as part of that to help fossil fuels do carbon capture and storage. Scott Morrison, in his own words, said the deal would unlock more local gas and create jobs and economic development in the NT, all while helping Australia to lower emissions and achieve our target of net zero by 2050. Mm, That's a very rosy-sounding future there. (laughs) We'll get to fact-checking that claim in just a minute. But first, I want to hear, what does Labor have to say about gas? What's their stance here? They're slightly less bullshy than the coalition, but have basically supported most of the coalition funding. Certainly haven't opposed it. Don't want to be seen to be opposed to this these new developments. Mm. Labor's Shadow Resources Minister Madeline King was very strong in her support of the industry in a noteworthy speech at a conference hosted by the Gas Industry Lobby Group, the Australian Petroleum Production and Exploration Association last year. I mean, she said the gas industry is part of the solution to taking action on climate change and getting to net zero emissions by 2050, and that she wanted to assure everyone at that conference that Labor supports the Australian gas sector. So the real message from Labor is no difference under us if we're elected. Mm. It's a little unclear exactly what they would do if they did come to power, whether they would be as aggressively pushing taxpayers' money into these developments, but they're certainly not opposed to expanding the industry. Have they opposed any gas developments or made any statements against this massive expansion on gas? Not so much statements against a massive expansion on gas, but there is an important difference in that Labor has opposed gas being paid by the Australian Renewable Energy Agency, also known as ARENA. Labor got together with the Greens and crossbenchers to twice help block an attempt by the coalition that would have allowed ARENA to fund clean hydrogen which is made with gas, and gas projects with carbon capture and storage. But they support gas exports and the development of the Beetaloo Basin in the Northern Territory, along with the coalition. And there are some differences on the use of gas-fired power in the electricity grid. In an announcement that has received a lot of scrutiny and that we've talked about before, 
the government last year kicked in $600 million to build a new gas-fired power plant that would be owned and operated by Snowy Hydro, which is a, a government-owned entity at Curry Curry near Newcastle in the Hunter Valley. Mm. And look, that plant is highly controversial. It's been widely criticised. Experts, including the former head of the government's Energy Security Board, Kerry Schott, have said it's not really needed to maintain supply, doesn't stack up commercially, and there are cheaper and cleaner alternatives in development. And Labor has supported that view, but as always, it's trying to thread a political path here where it's not seen to be opposed to new development. So instead of saying it would block that gas plant, which work has begun on, it's saying if it was elected, it would require it to be able to run on green hydrogen, which is hydrogen made with renewable energy and not just gas. Right. So Labor gets to say that they are supporting gas and clean energy with this stance. Yeah. But the argument is development's great, but not more fossil fuels in the power grid. And certainly not if taxpayers are paying for them. They'd say that doesn't make any sense. Right. We've heard in this conversation, both Labor and the coalition have claimed that gas is going to help us reach net zero by 2050. It's going to help us with our climate goals. Is that true, Adam? Look, the first thing we should say here is gas is a fossil fuel. Every time we extract it, it leaks emissions. Every time we burn it, it puts emissions into the atmosphere. So, you know, logically, that argument is, I think, immediately challenged, right? It's clearly adding to the problem. Scott Morrison, as we said, you know, has argued very strongly that we need a gas-led recovery and that it will help us get to net zero emissions by 2050. There's some blatant falsehoods here that we should address. The idea that's to support gas is that it will replace coal and has lower emissions. But that hasn't really been backed up in any way. Three quarters of the gas we extract in Australia is sold to Asia. Now, we know that there are at least some cases where that is filling a gap that could be filled by cleaner sources. Hmm. Government documents have talked about in Japan, for example, Australian gas competing with zero emissions, nuclear and renewable energy. That's clearly not a good for the planet when that's happening. So I think this idea really needs to be examined more closely. And one further point, every piece of gas infrastructure we build now, everything that's new right now is meant to last for decades. In most cases, beyond 2050, when we're supposed to be at net zero emissions. How do those two things add up? It's not really a question that governments tend to explain. If we're serious about this, we shouldn't be planning to invest in new fossil fuel infrastructure that's going to last until after mid-century. So, Adam, the lastly, I want to talk about renewables. As you said, we're moving towards them quite quickly, regardless of whether, you know, Labor or the Coalition put forward any sort of major vision on this. What have we seen from the Coalition? What have they done in this area? You know, the Coalition likes to take credit for what has become a really rapid change towards renewable energy. Now, more than 30% of our power comes from renewables, and that's rising really rapidly. We've seen a massive uptake in rooftop solar panels. Roughly one in three households now has them, which is incredible. Mm -hmm. But the reality is the coalition hasn't done anything to drive this expansion. On a large-scale renewable generation, we had a national renewable energy target for 2020. That's been filled. We're seeing a lot of stuff coming through, the investment flowing through now. But the coalition hasn't extended or replaced it. There's nothing else to drive that 
from a national point of view anymore. Investment in rooftop solar isn't happening because of federal policy. Uh, The coalition is sharply critical of the states who are now introducing new policy to drive large-scale renewables because there's nothing happening nationally, Mm. including the New South Wales coalition. I mean, they have the biggest policy. It's a really ambitious push that was passed with multi-party support in New South Wales. Angus Taylor, the federal minister, has been sharply critical of that. So the coalition is really trying to walk both sides of this street. We're seeing this massive uptake of renewable energy, but at the same time, it's taking steps to slow it down. Mm. We should really note, though, that even if we continue on the current path with the coalition not kicking in any more nationally, according to its own projections, we're likely to reach 69% renewable energy in the national market by 2030 largely because it's just really cheap now. It's the cheapest form of new energy generation. Old coal can't compete. And we're seeing the states really starting to underwrite a significant expansion of more solar and wind. Right. So we've got a bit of a rudderless ship here when it comes to renewables under the coalition. Would it be any different in a future Labor government? What's Labor's plan for renewables there? Labor's big policy in the area is that they say they would create a new rewiring the nation corporation, a new agency that would have $20 billion to build basically a stack of new transmission links, which means poles and wires to connect all the new renewable energy being built across the country much more rapidly to the national grid so that we can be run off that power in our major cities. Okay, so Labor would set up a new corporation, kind of like the NBN, but for renewables, and they would get renewables hooked up around the country. What exactly would that look like on the ground? So in simple terms, massive new solar farm built somewhere in the outback of New South Wales, that needs to be connected to the grid. This costs money, right, to build these transmission links. Who's responsible for building them? At the moment, we have a real backlog of renewables projects that can't get connected to the grid and also build big poles and wires. It's a huge undertaking. Basically, Labor's saying, we're going to throw a stack of money at this to make it happen much more quickly and that by committing this $20 billion, it would unlock $58 billion of private investment in all the things that we need to build. And I think we are moving from a model of a handful of massive coal plants out in the regions and with poles and wires connecting those into our cities to electricity generation happening basically everywhere. Mm. More parts of the country as we build these solar and wind farms and obviously on our own homes and businesses. Next, what Labor and the Coalition's plans will mean for your energy bills and for climate change. Okay, Adam, so that's the kind of major areas of policy or lack of policy that Labor and the Coalition have put forward. There has been a lot of talk about what each party's plans would mean for energy bills in this election, last election, the past five, ten years. What is the messaging from the Coalition Labor on what energy bills will look like under their leadership? So the Coalition has made a very big deal of its policies bringing down electricity prices. I mean, this has been something they've been talking about for nine years. They say the carbon price scheme under the ALP pushed up prices and that they've been bringing them down. 
The reality is that there are obviously a lot of factors that feed into what goes into an electricity bill, but the coalition's basic policy is we're not going to rush this and our approach is focused first and foremost on keeping bills down. Mm. Labor are quite specific about what they say their policy will do. They've had modelling carried out by a mob called Reputex. These are consultants and they say the average annual household power bill will be cut by $275 in 2025 and $378 in 2030 if it's elected. And they put that basically down to renewable energy generation being cheaper. Once you've built it, the actual generation of solar and wind, the fuel is free. So it is cheaper than coal and much cheaper than gas-fired power. Mm. So basically, both Labor and the Coalition claim that energy bills will go down under their leadership. Is that realistic? Can I start by saying we put far too much faith in this country in political debate on economic modelling and what all this change will mean? Uh, Economic modelling should be used as a guide. Both sides of politics lean on it more as a forecast that will be fact. Mm. Um, There are different reasons for that. But, you know, this is a massive change and I don't think anybody can tell us exactly what our power bills will be in 2025, 2030, 2050. I don't think we know. Mm. But- No one disagrees that more solar and wind is good in terms of lowering prices because it is much, much cheaper to generate once in place. I think a a really key point here is that the more renewables you get into the grid, connected and supported as cheaply as possible, will make prices cheaper than they otherwise should be because the more capacity you have to generate, the more competition you have in the market and more competition equals lower prices. So rather than trying to kind of throw a dart at the wall and say, look, the prices are going to be this amount in this year, just look at how renewables are going. Look at how connected renewables are and that might give us a sense broadly of what our energy bills might look like in the future. Yeah, and I think look at how much we're planning to build, the more capacity of renewable energy we have supported at cheapest possible price, the lower our costs will be because it's the cheapest form of generation. Mm. But there are real tough questions, and I know it's really complicated stuff, about the best way to connect all those renewables to the grid and back it up with batteries and other forms of support. And the real difficult and crunchy analysis that needs to be done is how do we do that at lowest possible cost. And that's going to be a conversation that's going to continue whoever wins the election. Right. As you mentioned, both major parties have committed to net zero emissions by 2050. How do all of these different statements and energy policies from Labor and the Coalition add up to net zero? I mean, do they at all? (laughs) No, they don't. I mean, the Coalition claims to have a plan to get to net zero by 2050, but, you know, as we've covered before, There are big holes in that. It doesn't really explain the path. It just assumes technology will turn up to do the job and make a significant part of that cut. Mm. And the coalition says it's going to do that by throwing a lot of money at clean technology development. But in reality, most of that spending is just topping up spending for agencies that was already in place. They're not really kicking in a lot of extra money on uh, new technology. And some of the technology they want to support is really just encouraging further use of gas and hoping that carbon capture and storage will come along and save it, which at this stage it hasn't. So there is no plan under the coalition to get to net zero by 2050 at this point. 
Labor hasn't tried to explain how it gets to net zero by 2050. Its policy is only to 2030. And it says it'll get a 43% cut by 2030, mainly by driving deeper cuts in electricity in the ways we've explained, and by starting to change industry by requiring some emissions cuts from big industry. Now, the reality is a lot of people in business are really just waiting for a signal that requires them to act. So just having these policies in place may lead to deeper cuts. It may lead to the ball starting to move in a way it isn't at the moment. But there's no plan under Labor for how they'll get to net zero by 2050 at this point, and they don't pretend that there is. They're just saying, we're going to start getting things moving and have a serious target similar to some other major developed countries for 2030. So, Adam, I'm aware that we've talked about the major parties quite a lot throughout this whole conversation, but there's so many teal independents running at this election, and some of them could join the Greens in pushing for action on climate change in the next government. What does that bode for the next Parliament of Australia and for the type of energy policy we might see going forward? I mean, I'm not going to get into political prognostications, but obviously there's a real possibility that we get a hung parliament and nearly all of the crossbench and the prospective crossbench, the teal independents who are running in inner city seats, want to see much more significant action on climate change, certainly than the coalition is proposing and more than what Labor is proposing. So if we had a parliament where they get a say, where neither major party has a majority... I think it's going to be a very interesting debate. We're going to see climate change really back at the forefront of the national conversation again. And who knows what sort of deals would have to be done. But I would imagine we'll be seeing the independents and the Greens pushing hard for a a more significant policy agenda and deeper cuts than what either party has on the table right now. Do you think that future might see a bit less bickering over energy bills, Adam? I'm not going to make any predictions about that. I think those arguments feel like they're never going to die. But I do see a world where we have a parliament that is potentially more focused on what the future opportunities are and the need to embrace them to both make emissions cuts quickly and grab the economic chance that we have here by cutting emissions more rapidly. The debate isn't really focused there at the moment. I think there's a possibility that a future parliament could be talking about that more. That was Adam Morton, Guardian Australia's climate and environment editor. You can check out more of Adam's reporting at theguardian.com, including his latest temperature check titled A Close Look at Election Campaign Promises Shows Major Parties Still Back Fossil Fuels. We've linked to that on the Full Story page as well. This episode was produced by Jake Morecambe and Camilla Hannan, who also did the sound design and mixing. The executive producers of Full Story are Miles Martignoni, Gabrielle Jackson and me, Laura Murphy-Oates. OK, catch you tomorrow.